You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Welcome to the Radioactive Show. I'm AC. On today's show, I want to share stories from the road with all of you who missed out on coming up on the Radioactive Exposure Tour this year. This year's Rad Tour started in Melbourne, stopped off in Adelaide, then Port Augusta, Woomera, Lake Eyre and the Flinders Ranges. Along the way, we met with some amazing people, talking up strong for country and taking on the nuclear industry. First up, I want you all to imagine we're having lunch outside Animal House, a punk community centre and band practice space in Adelaide. Arabana Alder, long-time anti-nukes activist and living legend, Uncle Kevin Buzzacott, is holding court, preparing us for our journey through the nuclear landscape of South Australia. What they're doing with the uranium and, and then the other big, other big thing is we've got the threat of the waste dump up there. We've got fracking going on. We've got about 100, in my area, we've got about 130 mines, exploration going on, looking for all sorts of stuff. So, uh, but I've seen people come and go. We've been at it for a long time, some of us, trying to get our message through. And they've just about worn me out. And, uh, other people as well. A lot of people have given in, so they've joined them, I think, which is a sad thing. But we're always trying to educate, we're always willing to educate new people and re-educate people about how dangerous this industry is and what happened. The war is still going on, they're talking more and more about it. And uh, <coughs> I'm more worried about the country in the other sense. Well, I'm worried about war too, but uh, I'm worried more about the country, the destruction to it, uh, around the Lake Air Basin, all the Mount Springs, trees, the animals, all that stuff. If I could, I'd run them out of there. So you've got Boarfield A and Boarfield B that sucks the water out of the Lake Air Basin and it kills all the mound springs and trees and animals and everything. And it's even killing us as well. Another one's got threats of waste dumps happening up there now with this new bloke in there. I think he'll bound to push it. So you'd probably hear the call out from us saying, come up, we're going to blockade or protest. Oh, we don't want to see 30 people. How many of you? 30. 30. We don't want to see 30, we want to see 30,000 or more. So if we send 30 people up there, don't come back, get locked up. 
get arrested. Uh, no, that's a joke, but you know what I mean. I don't know how hard you've got to go because these loggers, mines and government, they run on this. They run on destroying the land. They run on our misery and suffering and whatnot. And uh, they've got all the dollars, they've got all the binds and whatnot. We've had a few wins here and there, but we haven't kicked that really big goal yet. We're waiting for that, but don't forget to, don't forget about this trip and what you learn when you go back to Sydney and Melbourne, where you're from. Tell a lot of people, get them up on the next trip, or enjoy the trip. We got some experts here with you; they know what's what. You probably meet a few more on the road, and. Uh, Look after our country. Hello to our country, and our country will be happy that you're up there trying to do something about it. And that's what we've got to do. We want a good future. We want to make our environment beautiful again, which we can. We have to really give it to it. We have to get to these logheads, re-educate them or educate them what it's all about. That was Uncle Kevin Buzzacott. Also with us for lunch on that first day of the tour was Vivian McKenzie, staunch Adnyamatna traditional owner fighting to stop a nuclear waste dump on her lands in the Flinders Ranges. Okay, everybody, for you that don't know me, my name is Vivian McKenzie, and um, my family, we come from the Flinders Ranges, and also from around Lake Torrance, Roxbury Downs. I'm a descendant of the Kuyani Walpi people, um, which is made up of the groups in the Flinders Ranges there. Now, as you know, that not far from my family property, and some of you have been there, they're looking to put a, or suggesting to put a waste facility there. Um, and um, I heard this lady asking the question about how come some people have switched across to the other side. Well, like Brother Kevin said, it's about the treatment of Aboriginal people from colonisation, of the removal from their families, removal from their land, and the promises of a bit of money in their pockets will help them out. And that's what the government is doing at this very moment. It's talking money, but it's not acting on it. And one of the questions I ask the government is, in one breath they can take away the funding for Aboriginal people for housing, health, whatever, and then they'll come back because they want to do a waste dump and offer money to Aboriginal people. And um, a lot of my people, or our people, can only see that hoping for the best outcome for Aboriginal people. And one of the things that the government is using is they're using a waste facility and 
like we know that from our stories of the, of the land and um, Aboriginal people are very close to the land because we look at the land as our mother from that's whence we came from. Now, talking of, about uranium, I know for a fact that uh, my grandfather uh, from the Flinders Ranges, Fred McKenzie, my dad's father, he told them in 1949 not to use uranium uh, from Mount Painter in the Flinders Ranges because what it would do, it would kill people and that was the very bomb that they dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it was... Uh, the Ajimutna people at that time, they mourned for the people of Japan, of what was done to them. And... Um, I had the opportunity last year to go on the peace boat and to meet survivors of that and to be able to, to apologise for what the government did from the uranium in, in, from Mount Painter and the Flinders Ranges. But one of the things too that um, we've got to look at as, as people is you get the government saying about the greenies and the conservationists. Well, they don't seem to understand that when Aboriginal people are speaking and they're talking about the land and they're talking about Mother Earth and they're talking about that we've got to look after the land, the, the waters, the animals, we're conservationists and greenies in ourselves before colonisation. So when they're saying they're blaming all of you that you're creating problems within the Aboriginal community, you aren't because you're working in with us because you know darn well that we're conservationists and greenies as well. And I tell a lot of my family members that when they speak about the, the um, greenies and the conservationists, me and my sister Heather and Regina, we always pull them up on that and we say, well, we're greenies, we're conservationists, and we are. Aboriginal people are. Because you heard what Brother Kevin just said about caring for the land and that we've got to look out for it. So the word conservationists and greenies is just a, a word used by in the dictionary, but we know that we're all caring for this land. Listening to the Radioactive Show, produced at 3CR on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and distributed across the stolen continent on the Community Radio Network. Our next stop on the tour was Port Augusta, where we met up with Conservation Council of South Australia's nuclear-free campaigner Kat Beaton. While sitting around at the Shoreline campsite, Kat told us about how communities will work together to defeat a proposal for a high-level nuclear waste dump in South Australia. Who knew that South Australia was being targeted for an international waste dump? Can you chuck up your hands? I'm doing a tiny bit of research. Excellent. That's good. That's good. So it was quite a shock in 2015, on the 8th of February, on my son's birthday. I was just to add that in. When our then Premier announced that we were going to look at a whole range of expand, expanding our nuclear industry, from um, uranium mining to nuclear power uh, to uranium enrichment and to an international high-level waste dump. Australia doesn't have high-level international nuclear waste. So we're just looking at bringing a type of waste to this part of the world that's never been here before. Um, it really put 
us in a real great state of shock. And especially those traditional owner groups who I think had that long history with, with nukes from the bomb testing and with fighting previous waste dump proposals. It took about kind of a month or two months really for people in South Australia and Adelaide to get their heads around what the state government had done to us. State Labor government too, by the way, kind of hurt a bit, bit extra. Um, and get together and start organising. I mean, the long and the short of it is that within about a two and a half year period, um, we saw incredible resistance, again, traditional owners on the front line, but being backed up and working with unions, church groups, green groups like Friends of the Earth were just fantastic. They were right there with South Australians. Um, and we did defeat the plan. Um, it was quite incredible. Jim and I were definitely bracing for maybe a decade of maybe more, maybe 200,000 years of, of pain um, with this one. So it's a, it's a story that we're really happy to tell now. A year ago, if you're all sitting here, I'd be scaring the shit out of all of you, telling you that it was all coming this way and you had to do absolutely everything in your power to stop it. But a year later, we've got an absolutely fantastic result um, that really came from, I think, proving that some of our methods really work as activists and as organisers and as working together and to build on, on that great history of saying no to uh, nuclear in SA. Jim was right there on the front line. Uh, what would you have to add about this campaign and what do you think people on the tour need to know about this story? All of our work around the citizens' jury was was so important and the people who were actually on the citizens' jury, some of whom we know, uh, they deserve heaps of credit, but the traditional owners were just incredible all across the state from Yalatar in the west to Adnamutna in the east and way up north, APY lands. They were so strong and so solid, uh, and that, more than anything, swayed the citizens', ju citizens jury. So that was really important. And uh, the cynicism of the state government and the dishonesty of the state government and the effing Royal Commission and effing Royal Commissioner Kevin Scares, their dishonesty throughout this whole process was breathtaking and shameless, and it was so scary to be uh, on the other end of this battle where you've got concentrated state power and corporate power versus us with negligible resources. Um, it was really brutal and we just lucked it more than anything. You know, If the state government had played their cards right, they would have either not had a citizen's <coughs> jury or they would have deferred that whole process to some years down the track. Uh, but anyway, through a little bit of luck and an awful lot of hard work we've finally knocked that one on the head for the time being at least um, and I think it's still important to keep fighting this because there are still people in South Australia who, who are pushing the other way who are still lobbying for South Australia to become the world's high level nuclear waste dump and just one example of, of the incredible dishonesty was that the main proposal was for a deep underground nuclear waste dump so you think, would have thought that the state government and the Royal Commission would have paid considerable attention to the world's only existing deep underground nuclear waste dump, which is in the United States, but they ignored that because uh, that dump in the United States was closed down because of a chemical explosion in one of the underground nuclear waste barrels. So that was obviously an inconvenient truth. So the draft report of the Royal Commission completely ignored this chemical explosion and the final report of the Royal Commission gave it one paragraph 
and that's just one example of the, of, of the deceit and the economics was a complete joke too and the racism too you know the way the Royal Commission dealt with that inconvenient truth of the long history of systemic racism in South Australia was to say uh, this is out of our brief we're not going to deal with these issues and then in the next chapter it says there are sophisticated frameworks for engaging and liaising with traditional owners in South Australia and they've proved to be effective so they ignore the evidence and arrive at the conclusion that there's no problem. Anyway, all of that deceit and that concentrated power, it just makes it that much more exciting to win. And uh, for many of us, November 6 in 2016 was an absolute ripper of a day that we'll remember for a long time. That was Jim Green from Friends of the Earth talking about winning the fight to stop a proposed high-level nuclear waste dump in South Australia. At Woomera, we settled down for two nights of camping amongst the dunes, under the full moon and the stars. On our second night, Avon Hudson, a nuclear whistleblower who spoke out about secret radioactive weapons testing, gave us a brief history of nuclear weapons testing in Australia. I'll just start by telling you a little bit of history. First weapons test was in 1952 at Trimulo Harbour in Montebello off the Western Australian coast. The harbour is still heavily contaminated. It blew it to smithereens and it's all laying on the seabed. Um, it had vaporised about a cubic uh, kilometre of water that went high into the atmosphere and drifted over much of the West Australian coast. They got out of Montebello because it was too difficult and too contaminated at that particular time. They moved to Emu, which is just up the road from here, about 350 kilometres. Emu was a nothing. Nothing ever existed there and they exploded two bombs there in 53, Totem 1 and Totem 2. They got out of there because it was too difficult, because everything had to be flown in. And besides, they shit in their own nest by contaminating a lot of the area. As the saying goes, I'm sorry to use that language, but that's what they'd done. You don't soil your own nest. Well, they did. And then, because Maralinga wasn't built yet, they were still building it, they then went back to Montebello in June of 1956 and tested two weapons there again, both on an island. And one of them was a 98 kiloton bomb, a very big bomb. It was the biggest of all the bombs exploded in the Montebello and on the mainland. By then, Maralinga, in October of the same year, 56, they then opened Maralinga for business. The permanent testing range it was called Maralinga's Permanent Atomic Weapons Test Range they was going to have that last for I don't know, perhaps a half a lifetime but things changed, so in 1956 in October they started testing Operation Buffalo three bombs the same year uh, they postponed a couple that might have took place. In 57, they went to Maralinga and tested Operation Antler, 
four bombs, including the last bomb was at Taranaki, which was about a 70 kiloton bomb, but they put it down as only being a 30 kiloton bomb because it exceeded their authority of testing anything over 30 kilotons. So they doctored that one up. So that's just gives you a bit of an idea how many places they contaminated. There was nuclear whistleblower Avon Hudson. Later on in the evening, Dimity Hawkins, co-founder of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, shared some of her memories of being out on this country, including an eventful protest at the Naranga military facility. So I started working with Foe, and as part of that, started looking in our own backyard and realising the incredible amount of history that we had here in Australia around militarism. The very first time I came out to this desert, I came out um, having worked for many months with Joan Wingfield, um, who is a Gugada, um elder who'd worked really hard for a long time on uranium issues, and she was a fierce, wonderful woman, uh, sister to Glenn and the others who we'll meet. Oh, uh, is it just going to be Glenn? Mm-hmm. Sister to Glenn, um, the daughter of Mrs. Wingfield, one of the Kungas who fought so hard against that waste dump. Mrs. Wingfield had also been a survivor of the bombings and, as, as Jem was saying, I think, earlier, the, um, fighting against the uranium mine as well. This family have known so much painful uh, stuff in this country, and one of those painful things was also Narunga. So Narunga was a U.S. We, we like to call it a U.S. spy base, um, and it was a spy base. It was a joint facility, U.S.-Australian uh, joint facility, rather like um, Pine Gap up in Alice Springs. Narunga was a, a, a major military um, communications base, and in 1992, Friends of the Earth was one of the coordinating um, groups that led a protest out here. So it was the first time I came out to this country and sat down on this beautiful soil just down the road there. Um, and the spy base was big and and scary. There was a lot of federal police around. There was a couple of hundred people who came out one Easter, so the same time of year as now. And um, we came out with... It was... I'm not sure if it was the first time this happened, but it was certainly one of the times that this happened that Friends of the Earth led a protest where we um, asked that people who came to the protest had permission to be on country um, from the traditional owners. So we all had passports from the Gugada people to say that we were allowed to come on country to be there and to be in support of their um, their stance against Narunga. Um, that came in very handy for those of us who were arrested, of which I was predictably one, mm-hmm. um, and we later used those in court to try and argue a case of necessity, which I'm sure those of you who've been in activism for a while probably have tried that out or heard people trying it out. Um, and we had um, some class actions that tried to work, and then we had a whole lot of people doing self-defence, um, things that happened for for about a year and a half after the protests. So it was a really big thing. There was many of us arrested. Um, the day that we got arrested, we had a big mass arrest action, and uh, we all just walked on. 
walked on trespass on Commonwealth property. And we all walked on, didn't get very far. We were a bloody long way from the domes, so it was all very symbolic, I suppose, in the end. Um, and we're all a bit hot. Um, and they threw us onto, they had buses ready for us, you know, federal police, everything else. They had buses ready for us, South Australian police, federal police. And they put us all on the buses, and then they started driving us in towards the domes. And we're like, woohoo! You know, we're raiding this place, this is great, yeah, this is fun. And we got in a fair way, and then they stopped the buses, and there was this great big uh, fenced-off cage, basically, in the desert. They'd built it for us, and they wanted to put us out there yeah. in, the, in the Commonwealth land, away from any legal people, away from any observers, any legal observers that we had and so forth. And there were three busloads from memory of us, and we, I was on the first bus. And... Um, and we said, no, we're not getting out. We're not getting off that bus. And they were like, yeah, you're going to get off the bus. We've got, we've got water out there. You can go and sit in the cage. Like, we're not getting off the bus. There's no way we're getting off the bus here. We're, we need to be, you know, where our people can find us and everything. And they said, no, you're going to get off the bus. You're going to go. And we had this argument backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. Then they brought the dogs onto the bus. So they're police dogs onto the bus. Wow, we went off our heads about that because... There were children on the bus with us as well. Where's babies on this bus? You can't do this. La, la, la. So they eventually, this went on and on and on and on, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. The other buses came up full of people who'd been arrested. We were like, don't get off the bus. Don't get off the bus. So eventually they turned around and they took us to Woomera. That was my first trip to Woomera in the back of a police bus. And they dropped us off at the police station there. But when we got off there, we started to get off the bus. They said, oh, no, you didn't want to get off the bus. <laughs> so they left us on the bus for like a couple of hours while they processed every other busload of people before we were allowed off the bus. So anyway, that was, that was my little Narunga story. Um, yeah, that was 1992 that we did that. We, we spent about a year and a half more doing legal cases arising from that. Had a lot of help from a lot of legal eagles who then later on also helped us out with Jabaluka a few years later, um, protesting, you know, helping with the protesters and processing the protesters um, from Jabaluka. But that's a different story. But it was also a really important time, I think, in terms of um, standing up strong for country, sitting down on country, learning the stories of this country and understanding for the very first time how precious this place is, how amazing it is, how it is not the middle of nowhere. It is very much somewhere and it's very, very, very special, this bit of country. It's been abused and used in all sorts of ways that are disgusting, but... The people from this place are very special to me and this place itself is very special and it's a real pleasure to be here with you all again in this place all these years later. That was Dimity Hawkins, recorded there on the fourth day of the 10-day radioactive exposure tour. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show, but fear not, this is just part one of the RAD tour wrap-up for 2018, so keep your ear out for the second part in coming weeks on the radioactive show. This show is produced at 3CR on Wurundjeri land in Nam, Melbourne, and made possible with the financial support of the ACE Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth. You'll find the radioactive show online at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive, and that's three the digit, and you can get in touch with us by looking us up on Facebook or via email at 
radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The music on today's show was Adventure Darling by Gillicuddy, which can be found on the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear-free future. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.